This is an ABC podcast. This is Science Friction. Hello, it's Natasha Mitchell. If you care about action on climate change, could your actions make you a criminal in Australia? I mean, the the aim wasn't to go to prison, but we knew that that was a possibility. And ultimately, that was something that I was willing to do. Obviously, it was a very scary thing to be doing, a very overwhelming thing to be doing. This is Jay Labalestia. He's in his 30s and is a philosophy student at the University of Sydney. I look back on what it's taken for progressive change to happen historically, whether it's, you know, bringing an end to the Vietnam War or the civil rights movement or the suffragettes. There have been a lot of cases of people who've been willing to be arrested and and go to jail, sometimes for long periods of time. In New South Wales, one of Jay's friends, a fellow climate protester, Deanna, or Violet Coco, has just been sentenced to a 15-month jail sentence with a non-parole period of eight months. The length of her sentence has been heavily criticised by human rights advocates. Now, you might recall that on the 13th of April this year, Violet, Jay and two other protesters from a group called Fireproof Australia blocked one lane of traffic on the Sydney Harbour Bridge with two vehicles for just under half an hour. And police say four people are in custody over an unauthorised protest on the Sydney Harbour Bridge this morning. Climate activists staged a sit-in on the bridge, causing heavy traffic delays Two people have glued themselves. So myself and um, a lovely lady called Karen Fitzgibbon, we were in a car and we got out and we glued ourselves to the roadway of the Harbour Bridge. We glued our hands to the roadway. And behind us in a truck were Violet Coco and Alan Glover, who's actually a veteran firefighter with 42 years experience. And Violet and Alan climbed up on top of the truck. They were holding emergency flares and live streaming the protest. Some people were yelling at us with abuse and some people were cheering us on and and saying that they supported what we were doing. Why did you think that causing that sort of traffic chaos, that logjam on such a vital thoroughfare was going to help your cause? You know, we weren't expecting to win any popularity contests, but what we were trying to do was get climate change talked about in the media. We were sort of acting like a fire alarm, I suppose, and just trying to bring home to to the public that we are in a crisis and in an emergency and that this is what acting proportionately looks like, perhaps. The group was arrested. Jay pled guilty, was granted bail and placed under house arrest for 42 days, living with his flatmates but unable to walk out the front door. He says the New South Wales police checked on him up to three times a day, sometimes early in the morning or very late at night. Jay narrowly avoided a prison sentence, he knows that, and is instead serving an intensive correction order, undertaking community service in an op shop one day a week, and he also can't associate with any of the other protesters. But Anthony Kelly, a coordinator with Melbourne Activist Legal Support, says Violet Coco's sentence is particularly harsh. Quite shockingly severe. There's been about five other activists all up in New South Wales that have faced jail terms over recent uh, recent months. Some have been successful on appeal. Some have served months in prison. Fifteen months 
is a quite a severe jump on that. It's a disproportionate uh, legal response designed to uh, undermine and, and disrupt the ability of groups such as Fireproof Australia to organise protests such as this. But Anthony says he's not surprised by the severity of Violet Coco's sentence because her protest was staged just days after controversial new laws were passed in New South Wales targeting protesters. Those laws were rushed through Parliament in a couple of days. There was no public consultation. This is Solicitor Elaine Johnson. She's Director of Legal Strategy at the Environmental Defenders Office, the EDO. It was clearly a knee-jerk reaction to the kinds of climate protests that have been occurring over the last few months um, and years. And what they do is leave Australians unsure about their lawful ability to protest and not be charged with a serious criminal offence up to two years in prison um, and a fine of up to $22,000. So the law doesn't stop people from protesting per se. What are the specifics of the law that could put people at risk of committing a criminal offence if they do undertake climate protests? There's there's two laws that have been amended and the Environmental Defenders Office is, is currently in the Supreme Court challenging um, the validity of these laws under the Australian Constitution. But what the laws do is essentially criminalise any conduct that would occur near a major facility or on or near a major road or bridge or tunnel where that conduct results in people or traffic being redirected around them. And the laws are so broad that major facility is not defined in the Act itself, but it's up to government through regulation to nominate what a major facility is. And that can be anything from a a railway station to the Woolworths Distribution Centre, which is currently listed as a major facility. So it's not just climate protesters that are impacted by these types of laws. It's everyone. It's members of the union movement. It's people who are concerned about issues other than climate change. But Elaine, should, should protesters have the right to shut down major arterial roads and cause the sort of disruption and distress that these actions can in a community? We in Australia have a long and proud history of peaceful protest. A lot has been achieved through peaceful protest in the environmental context. We've seen places like the Franklin River in in Tasmania protected out of a protest movement, a strong protest movement. The rocks in Sydney um, are here today because we saw the green bands in the 1970s and the protesters coming to protect the rocks from being destroyed. So I think that to pass judgment on a particular type of protest is really problematic. But the New South Wales Premier, Dominic Perrottet, this week reinforced his support of the new anti-protest laws and described Violet Coco's 15-month sentence as, quote, not excessive. If protesters want to put our way of life at risk, they should have the books thrown at them. Um, And that's pleasing to see. Um, We want people to be able to protest, but you should do it in a way that doesn't inconvenience people right across New South Wales. Um, For some, even those committed to action on climate change, shutting down the Sydney Harbour Bridge, for example, would have been seen as a step too far. It's been framed that way, and that's the narrative that the government and the police uh, are using in order to demonise these protests. Anthony Kelly from Melbourne Activist Legal Support. 
another scenario could easily have been the police um, assisting traffic moving around and through the the bridge, as they would if it was a car accident or a you know as as a street parade or any other sort of just regular routine disruption that happens in the city, and the government could have chosen to highlight and support Violet's right to protest peacefully in the middle of a major Australian city, and those rights are protected under international law. Australia has signed on to the International Covenant of Civil and Political Rights. It has an obligation to do to take that sort of response to protests. Instead, it has demonised the protests, it has clamped down and criminalised, and a young woman is now facing 15 months in horrific prison conditions as a consequence of a peaceful protest. But many would have thought, Anthony, that these actions on the Harbour Bridge were ultimately selfish and, and, and perhaps divisive. Are they likely to draw people into the climate movement by shutting down traffic and effectively shutting down the heart of Sydney? Their function is to engage people in the discussion. And so Martin Luther King rose this very clearly in, in similar critiques of the civil rights movement at the time. He said, we want to generate conflict. We're going to do it non-violently and peacefully, but we're going to generate conflict so people can be engaged in what's happening with, in that case, um, segregation, racial segregation in the, in the United States. He was a deeply alienating figure, even amongst um, a lot of African-Americans. Jay from activist group Fireproof Australia. But over time, he did win support, but it's just initially often it takes divisive actions to bring about uh, change and awareness. So climate activists are taking very similar approaches in the climate movement to generate community debate and engagement with uh, the climate crisis and inaction on the climate crisis. It has a similar sort of function, but history shows that they are critical for shifting the public narrative and public views and political and cultural change that occurs in the decades afterwards. Even in their extremity, their initial Absolutely. extremity. Mm, absolutely. There's such a long history of these forms of action that as a society, we should be quite used to them. The climate movement, of course, has been highlighting that these disruptions are minor compared to the disruption um, caused by environmental collapse and catastrophe. They're drawing that link very strategically and explicitly. Climate change isn't just a future threat. It's now happening all around us. Fireproof Australia, the protest group Jay and Violet Coco are a part of, is a strategic campaign in response to the catastrophic bushfires and floods of the last three years. So we, we had three demands and one of the demands was to secure an, an aerial firefighting fleet of water tankers. And that was something that was called for by the Royal Commission into bushfires that happened in 2020. We had another demand, which was to smoke-proof schools, aged care and disability centres. And the third demand was to rehome flood and fire survivors, because at the time, a couple of years on from the Black Summer bushfires, there were still people stranded in caravans and makeshift housing. What we were calling for, we really thought were reasonable demands that the, that the community would be able to, to support. And that sort of puts the government in a bit of a dilemma of, you know, they they can ignore the demands and, and not meet them. And then, you know, we would say that they're quite reasonable demands and why wouldn't they want to meet them? If they do decide to um, to meet the demands, then that's sort of a win for us as well. So it's sort of partly about putting people in power in, the, in a bit of a dilemma. 
So why marry those, what you say are reasonable demands with extreme disruptive action? We definitely weren't looking to be popular, um, but we've, we've tried protesting in all sorts of ways. I mean, I've written petitions for quite a few years and I still do that. I've also just been marching in perfectly legal street marches, but we're reading the science and we're reading the IPCC reports, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change reports, and they keep coming out and they keep getting more and more urgent. And if we don't make these rapid changes the scientists are calling for, the consequences are unthinkable. So it's just the fact that we, we're in such a dire emergency that we feel that the actions that we took, they're drastic actions and they're even desperate actions, but I would say that they're, that they're proportionate to the, to the scale and extent of the crisis that we're in. In the UK, protest groups like Insulate Britain are taking a similarly focused approach to their climate change action. It's calling for the British government to insulate homes to keep people warm, conserve energy and so lower carbon emissions. And like Fireproof Australia, its members have been arrested and jailed for blocking major highways too. The New South Wales government is, is effectively drawing a distinction between lawful and unlawful protest. If, if Fireproof and Extinction Rebellion or whoever, whatever protesters wanted to protest on the Harbour Bridge legally, they could have applied for a permit like other campaigners have done before them. Is there a legitimate distinction to make here between what's considered lawful and unlawful protest? in terms of its impact on a community. There is a misconception out there about what it means to lawfully protest. Elaine Johnson, Director of Legal Strategy at the Environmental Defender's Office. The High Court of Australia has found time and again that the right to peaceful protest, to demonstrate, is an in indispensable pillar of our constitution. And we know that protest is inconvenient and it is likely to cause disruption. If it's not inconvenient, it's not causing disruption, then arguably it's not, it's not a protest action. So I think we need to be looking when we're talking about what's lawful at our constitution and the role that protest plays in protecting our democratic freedoms. The Environmental Defenders Office, your team is representing two climate protesters from a group called Knitting Nanas. You've mounted a, a constitutional challenge against the New South Wales laws covering protests on their behalf. Why? What are you hoping to achieve? We're acting for Helen and Dom, who are two mothers from flood and fire impacted New South Wales and the mid-north coast. And they're leading this challenge in the New South Wales Supreme Court. What we know and what we can see and what, in fact, Helen and Dom saying in their constitutional challenge is that when you have such harsh penalties associated with protest and they're so broad as to capture almost anything that anyone might do in the form of protest, that's going to have a chilling effect on people's implied freedom to speak about issues that are important to them. And climate change, of course, is the number one issue for our society today. Not everyone has the privilege to go into a minister's office and speak directly to a minister about government policy and, and protest is an important part of political communication. What do you mean by a chilling effect? What do you think the effect 
of these laws might be? Because clearly climate protesters are testing them willingly. They're, they're putting themselves in a situation where they risk going to jail and they, they fully understand what they're doing, clearly. It's about the broadness of the laws and the harshness of the penalty. Everyone in Australia, Australian citizens, we have this implied freedom of political communication and the High Court said that that's an indispensable pillar of our constitution and it's essential for a free and fair democratic process. So if we're limiting the right to protest to only those who are willing to put their lives on the line and potentially go to prison, then we're limiting the rights and freedoms of ordinary Australians to have their voices heard in the form of protest. Climate activists Jay LaBelestia and Violet Coco clearly knew they risked arrest and a jail sentence when they blocked traffic in a lane of the Sydney Harbour Bridge in April. I was a bit worried because Violet has more of a history of being an activist which has involved being arrested a number of times, but it ends up being a 15-month prison sentence which came as a profound shock. Seeing somebody who is so motivated by a moral conviction and a desire to protect not only herself and her family, but all life on the planet, really. Like, that's that's who Violet is. And seeing someone of that calibre of, of a human being, really, um, put in jail and, and that that's sort of the best place that the state deems someone like Violet to be in, rather than just acting in, a, in accordance with the with climate change, you know, they're sort of jailing protesters who are just trying to bring about awareness and, and, and protect people. I think that the state feels threatened by protesters, that they're worried that we may be influential in some way. Or they could be just trying to stop major disruption on important highways and byways. Do you recognise that there's a safety issue when you block a major highway? How do ambulances get through? How do emergency services get through? We want to acknowledge the risk isn't zero, but for example, on the Harbour Bridge, we only blocked one lane. We left multiple lanes free for traffic to still be able to get past, including emergency vehicles. So these are things that we, uh, we, we try to mitigate any risk that could possibly happen. And... The fact is that if we don't act on climate, millions and millions of lives are going to be lost and and that's ultimately what we're trying to prevent. We're ultimately trying to to protect the community and we try to minimise any risks to the public that that could occur as a result of our actions. Human rights advocates like ourselves have noted a global uh, trend of increasingly uh, encroachments on the right for peaceful assembly and a shrinking of what's sometimes called political space, the space which communities and people have to participate politically and protest without facing severe consequences. Anthony Kelly from Melbourne Activist Legal Support says the punitive approach in New South Wales is part of a global shift. So states around the world are deliberately targeting various forms of protest and shrinking their political space. So new legislation in the UK, the Police Crime Sentencing and Courts Act, for instance, provides a range of increasing police powers to interpret uh, them as disruptive or too loud and increases their ability to move on or remove protests and increases the the penalties and consequences. 
We're seeing similar legislation throughout the US, but also in uh, Queensland, in Tasmania, in WA, and in Victoria, often targeting particular animal rights movements or protest groups that might be involving blockades or protests in forest settings. The picture very much is that the New South Wales and police in particular have been applying strategies, approaches that have been used over recent years against organised crime and well, motorcycle gangs, uh, intense surveillance, um, collecting of a high degree of data and preemptively uh, intervening and interrupting in the activities of those groups. So we're seeing exactly the same template being applied, uh, very command control directed, very organised, very strategic and deliberate. And so this is being applied against grassroots, volunteer, citizen, um, you know, civil society uh, movements that it hasn't, hasn't been applied on this sort of scale uh, over certainly recent decades. So ironically, when it comes to this distinction between lawful and unlawful protest, we are in many ways through cases and through our advocacy are asserting that the state itself is acting unlawfully. The state itself is undermining its obligations under international law or in, in many cases domestic uh, acts and legislation and in some cases police guidelines about their, um, uh, their own powers. Anthony Kelly says that ahead of the recent massive International Mining and Resources Conference, IMAC, in Sydney, around 50 climate activists received door knocks from the New South Wales police. Jay was one of them. I understand that they've, they've visited people who've never even broken the law, some people that are involved in school strike for climate who'd put their names down on pieces of paperwork, uh, form ones that you submit when you're trying to gain permission from the police to, to stage a, an authorised protest. You know, that's also, from my point of view, very alarming. I would imagine that if you're maybe a kid from school strike for climate and you get police showing up to your door or visiting you in a cafe, as happened to, to some people, um, that could be quite an intimidating experience, especially if you've had very little contact with the police before. It's designed to have the effect of um, intimidating those who want to speak out publicly on issues like climate change. Climate change will impact the most vulnerable in our community um, first, and those are often the people who don't have ready access um, to uh, politicians and to political process, um, unlike those uh, leading the fossil fuel industry. So I think that it's it's hugely problematic that at this point in time we're not opening up the doors to our democracy and um, to a peaceful protest. We're trying to um, make every effort to shut down that conversation and that's a problem for Australians. Governments around Australia are, are quick to argue that they are taking action on climate change uh, on the one hand and yet you're suggesting that there's a, an increased crackdown on climate protesters. So wh why do you think this is happening? Why now at this particular time when governments are eager to demonstrate that they are meeting international obligations to reduce the impacts of climate change? Well, I think it's quite clear that um, climate, genuine climate action in the Australian context means quickly transitioning away from fossil fuels um, to new ways of generating energy. And so that's clearly going to be 
a threat to business as usual for those industries that have been operating um, for so long in this country, um, supported by government. Um, so those who speak out against climate inaction, climate uh, survivors, and those who are concerned about the trajectory that we're on, clearly uh, challenging that narrative um, that everything is under control and that we're moving as quickly as we need to be on climate change. And, and the facts of the climate science just simply don't support that, that assessment. We, we are already in the climate crisis. We're experiencing catastrophic events, bushfires, floods, bleaching of the Great Barrier Reef is now a regular event. So um, to enable people to speak out on those issues is fundamentally important to achieve the kind of transformational change that we need to see in our society, our economy and our environment. What's the end game here? Violet is in jail. You now have this on, on your record. You're serving an intensive correction order. This will perhaps stuff up career opportunities, travel opportunities, your, your freedoms in other ways. What's the end game for you? Well, if I can ultimately be part of a movement that prevents the, the uh, collapse of our climate system and can help protect people and safeguard the future for young people, to me, the end game is hopefully winning meaningful action on the climate crisis. And if, if, if I can be some very small part of that, then the consequences that I have suffered and may continue to suffer in the future if I, if I continue to protest, you know, those are insignificant compared to the consequences of not acting. And so that's what I focus on. Climate activist Jay Labellestia, we asked the New South Wales Police for comment. Our questions and their response are on the Science Friction website. I'm Natasha Mitchell. Science Friction is produced by me and Lisa Needham, studio engineer this week, Angie Grant. I'll catch you next episode where it's brains against brains. It's going to be hilarious, our annual Science Friction quiz show. And if you love conversations about technology and the future and society, head back and listen to my interview with futurist and anthropologist extraordinaire Genevieve Bell from last episode. And check out another ABC podcast. It's called Future Tense, hosted by my colleague, the ever-insightful Anthony Fennell. Cities have started to take on the role or the properties of Instagram influencers and sometimes reality TV stars. You have to sit down and say, I promise to think through the repercussions of what I'm doing. This is an excellent question. So I think, what is a life form? It's not a message that's going to be popular, but it's a message that needs to be heard. And that message is... Well, you'll never be bored when you listen to Future Tense, the podcast that takes you to the fault lines of rapid transformation. Sometimes serious, sometimes quirky, but always informative and eye-opening. Future Tense, with me, Anthony Fennell, thinking at the edge of change. If you like science friction, check us out on the ABC Listen app.